What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am so excited and honored today to introduce my new friend, Amanda Aikulola. Hi, Amanda. Uh, Amanda is the founder and CEO of Purpose Work Consulting and Coaching and a perioperative nurse for Prospect Charter Care. Hi, thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. You are a woman of many talents and gifts. She is an innovative and technology-savvy nonprofit leader, entrepreneur, and media strategist. She specializes in using technology and social media to influence, advocate, and increase productivity and fundraise. She's a rock star on Facebook, and she was voted one of the top 100 Facebook group admins in the United States, and she teaches others to build positive, impactful online communities through her Facebook group's masterclass. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to be here. Good. Um, okay, so my little icebreaker question that I like to ask, because, you know, it's something off topic, <laughs> is... What in the heck, why in the heck do you want to learn how to drum? Oh, I, it's just been, okay, so music is my passion, and I, once before I die, have to be, like, in front of this amazing drum set and just rip out in the air tonight. It's got to happen before I die. <laughs> Phil Collins, that's such a great uh, drum thing, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm a, like, I'm an amazing air drummer, but, you know, it's just not the same. Do you play other instruments? Uh, I tried and failed miserably uh, when I was in grade school to play the saxophone. I chewed up uh, all the reeds <laughs> and uh, gave up. I, and then I, I, I was decent at the recorder in the third grade. Um, I sing. Um, in the shower and in the car, but my real talent is I dance constantly. My kids are mortified by it, but I think I'm fabulous. <laughs> my kid, I dance all the time because my kids always. You know, I don't know if I had told you that I'm a dancer. Like I've danced from the time I was little, and I've taken classes. Oh, really? You know, as an adult, I you know I dance hip hop. Like, I hip hop. Yeah, that's we could dance together. So my kids, so I'm dancing around the house too. And my kids are like, please stop, mom. It's disgusting. You're too old. Yeah. <laughs> and my, I, my 13 year old says it's cringy. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, all my, all my kids' friends, they think it's hilarious. They're like, your mom's awesome that she does that. My, yep. They're like, oh, please don't encourage her. <laughs> exactly. Same thing happens here. And I dance while I cook. That's like what I'm known for. Uh -huh. um, I sing, I put my headphones in and I dance and perform when I cook on a regular. <laughs> I think personally, that's why my food comes out better. I think personally that I, I don't think you ever see anyone like really sad and depressed dancing. Do you? No. I mean, natural you know, endorphins. 
Yeah. Natural high. Natural high. It's like natural, just like this feeling of freedom and expansion and joy and like, don't mess with my chi. That's right. I highly recommend it. So yay. I love that. So, um, so when are you going to buy your drum set? I told, well, I, my birthday is New Year's Day. Mm -hmm. Um, so Christmas is a week prior and I told my husband I'm turning 50 this year. We're stuck in the house a lot. Yeah. And that's what I wanted for my Christmas birthday gift. Uh, and God helped them all get the kids and him some, like those bows, really good air, yeah. uh, ear plugs. Yeah. And then buy me drums. Put me in the basement. <laughs> there you go. And don't they, don't they have these like, um, you can, the drummer can actually put on the headphones and only hear the drum set themselves or something like that. Oh, okay. Well then there you go. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, I think that sounds, that. I think that sounds great. And uh, when, when you do it, then start putting it on Facebook, please. So we can all, oh, yeah. enjoy. I'm going to, I'm getting an animal t-shirt from the Muppets because he's like my spirit animal, literally. Uh, and that's going to be me. That's going to do all winter. <laughs> I think that's awesome. So I know you've been through a lot. And so how, yeah. how so take us from your joy right now to sort of your your like turning point in your life you had a huge turning point why don't you tell us what happened uh well i had um a special event i like to call it that happened to me about eight years ago mm -hmm. i was a busy um i should stop moving on you sorry about that That's um fine. i <laughs> i was a very busy woman um i owned a business and um, I have three children. The youngest at the time was five. Um, I owned my business, which was an online um, gourmet chocolate shop. And we also, we had a retail shop here in the state that I live in. Mm -hmm. And we also had an online store. We did a lot of um, special events. I had a lot of corporate clients. We did a lot of shipping and um we also did, you know, brick and mortar business. My husband worked um, as well, full time. I worked as a nurse part time. And we had the three kids and my mother um, had a lot of health challenges and lived in the house. And I was also kind of nursing her um, at the house. So I had my plate extra full. Yeah. Um, and I kind of liked it that way. You know, I was well, you said you don't like being bored, people. right? Yeah, I, yeah, I was kind of one of those people that was always running, and I didn't mind it so much, but I was really um, kind of pushing myself too much at the time, uh -huh. and um, I was, you know, volunteering at church, and, you know, I was kind of a maniac at the time, um, busy, busy, and we had gone to church one day, my youngest son um, had a sleepover at a friend's house nearby, went to pick him up. Um, it was summertime and it was actually eight years ago now to the, it was August. And, um, I fell, uh, coming out of a home that I'd come out of before, but I was rushing as usual. And, um, it was very uneven slabs of concrete. Mm -hmm. I had on these really cute slides, you know, in the summertime, someone was talking to me. I was looking back, having a conversation and, and walking really quickly. It should have been a simple fall. Uh, I fell went up in the air, came out of my shoes, um, got a pretty good concussion, neck injury, 
you know, lacerations, sprained my hand. It was a pretty bad fall. Uh, nothing I would ever imagine at the time would really change uh, the trajectory of my life. Yeah. Um, but it actually did. Because, um, you know, I went to the ER. I was actually, I, I moonlighted because, you know, it wasn't enough to for me to have a business and, and work at the surgical center that I worked at at the time. I also used to work in the ER <laughs> once in a while. And so, you what know, else I can there. I add to my plate? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was nuts. And, um, I went there and, and they were like, Oh yeah, you have a concussion. Da, da, da. Um, you know, so we thought it would take me a few weeks to recover. Right. I never did. Um, my, I, I, I couldn't seem to get back to my normal self. They said post-concussion syndrome. Um, I couldn't fully recover. My neck, uh, my arms started going numb. All these weird neurological things happened. Mm -hmm. um, I started passing out and I, I just started going downhill and we couldn't figure out what was going on. So months go by. Um, prob probably Amanda as a nurse, like you have so much knowledge anyways of how your body works. So it must have been really like confusing for you too. It was, and for my doctors, you know, and, and well, actually, I didn't have doctors at the time. I had one primary care that I saw once a year because uh -huh. I was too busy to get off the doctor, you know, right. other than when I had children. I had a lot of health challenges in the past during my pregnancies. I'd lost several pregnancies, mm. um, and I had bizarre things that happened to me during my pregnancies, but then I would get through them, and then I would just kind of go back to abusing my body, you know, mm -hmm. running like a maniac. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I would have issues that were popping up, but I was able to push through them. Um, and I had a lot of pain. And I always had back and neck problems since I was young. Um, but I never really took the time to figure it out. Um, well, that fall kind of changed everything. And I was never able, uh, despite how hard I tried to push again, to kind of push through it. And I started passing out at work. I started going down in, in public, wow. um, heart palpitations, like all kinds of bizarre things started happening. And it led me on this really interesting journey. Um, luckily I was a nurse and, um, one of my jobs at work was, you know, marketing to surgeons and physicians at work. And so I had a lot of great connections and, um, I had great health insurance. And so I said, Oh, I'll just fix this. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you fall one day and right. you fix it. Right. And you find the right doctor and, and you just figure out what's wrong. And it really it was a lot more difficult than um, I ever imagined it would be. And so I got sicker um, and I got really frustrated and I couldn't understand why um, the doctors I saw couldn't give me any real answers. I ended up in the ER a couple times because I would go down and I would have chest pains. And mm. I was like, okay, you know, I have to go to the emergency room. I don't think I'm dying, but like, what if I'm wrong? And, right. You know, I didn't go to the hospital. Um, and then, you know, they would send me to more doctors. And after like 12 doctors and nobody knew what was wrong with me. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing that you went to so many people and they were all confused. Yeah, and it was that one doctor, it was that one time I went to the emergency room when I really didn't think I should go. My husband's like, I really think you have to. Um, there was a, a, a 
intern that came up to me, I fell asleep on the stretcher. You know, they had, because they had had chest pain, they had to admit me. Right. And I was like kind of apologizing like women do sometimes when we show up. I'm like, I'm really sorry to be here, but this happened and I know I have to come. I really don't think I'm having a heart attack or anything, but I'm a nurse and I felt like, what if I'm wrong? And like something does happen to me, you know, and they're like, don't apologize. You should have come in. You did the right thing. And then um, I got there and they put me on a monitor and I fell asleep and my blood pressure was bottoming out while I was sleeping and setting off alarms, which was weird. So an intern came in at like three in the morning and he's like, I think you need to go to Boston and I think you need to see somebody. You could have like some weird autoimmune condition that's damaged your nerves because it's, you should not have your blood pressure going down dramatically low like this while you're sleeping. Like everybody's goes a little low, but this is like weird. And your heart rate is dropping and your blood pressure is dropping and your heart rate's then spiking. So that started my journey. And I'm like, okay, I Thank will do you, that. Intern. Thank you, intern. Right. And then he disappeared. I don't even know his name. Right? And then they said, we're going to hold you. You're going to see our doctor house kind of guy. And saw him and he's like, I don't know what to tell you. You know, there's like, uh, you know, one in uh, 10 people in, in the U.S. have a rare disease. You know that. You probably have a rare disease. Just go home. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm like 42. I have three kids. I have a life. Yeah. My youngest son's five. I can't walk without getting short of breath and feeling faint. He's like, I, I don't know. I said, well, just if you don't know, it's okay. But tell me where to go next. He's like, I don't know. And I literally couldn't walk out of the hospital and I was frustrated in tears. So then I go to Boston and then they tell me we can't really help you. You're a smart lady. Just kind of go home and sit down. Another one told me to get a wheelchair or to not, you know, not to get a wheelchair, just to accept the fact that I was going to be in a wheelchair in the next few years. And I cried all the way home and I was just like, okay, this is not okay. There's something wrong. And then I started digging and um, I just was hell bent on taking charge and stop looking externally for people to fix me because I realized at that point, nobody was invested in saving my life and I needed to kind of take ownership of my future. And so I did. And, you know, I think that the doctors, there were some that really were invested in helping me, but they were specialists. And then once they ruled out that it was my thyroid or if it wasn't Lyme disease, then they were like, we can't help you. And they passed you off. And I really started to see how fractured our healthcare system was. Mm-hmm. And then other doctors, like they just didn't know how to help me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't fit into any specific box. So, um, I went home and I, you know, the stress of all this probably didn't help. And I got just, I was just in despair and I didn't know what to do. And I was sad because I really, you know, I'd been a nurse at that point, like 20 years. And I was like, is this, is this what it's like? Like, I didn't even know that you could have this experience. Like I believe so wholeheartedly in our medical system. (laughs) I knew that mental health system had challenges, but I just didn't know that this could happen. You could fall one day and your whole life could be over. And it didn't seem right because my body was functioning six right. months ago. Right. And so, the, fa- and the yes. fact that, that all these other physicians were just like, you know, oh, well, 
Like it's, oh, wow. it's something, it's something, what is it? So like, you know, Amanda, yeah. the case study, <laughs> let's figure out what's going on. Yeah. And you know, now I know hindsight after doing, you know, not to jump ahead of myself, but the, the path I was being led down and meeting so many other people across the country, I was treated with a lot of respect. Um, I didn't get a lot of, it's all in your head. You're crazy. Uh, they believed me and treated uh -huh. me with respect. A lot of other specifically women um, with neurological disorders um, get dismissed and told mm -hmm. that, you know, they're imagining these things or they're hysterical. A lot of, I think a lot of that has to do with, I didn't go to, the, <laughs> to get care until I was so ill. Um, and they could track the, my, my, at times my blood pressure was undetectable when I would show up. Wow. Um, so they could document that these things were really happening, uh -huh. you know, and uh -huh. I tend to be calmer when they happen because I was used to it by the time I was showing up. Uh -huh. But um, yeah, so it was an interesting experience for me. Um, in the fact that I felt the medical system was failing me, but also like how many other people was it failing? And um, I kind of set out on this journey to find a doctor that could help me because I was sure somebody could. And then I found a doctor locally who said, well, I've seen something like this once before. A man came in about a year ago and he had similar symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I had been doing research online because I was stuck in bed most of the time. Right. There were days I couldn't even walk to my own kitchen. Yeah, wow. And um, the, he said, but you're not going to find other people like this. And so then I started building community online, trying to search. And like, that was like a challenge. I love a challenge, right? Yeah. So, so how, did, how did you do that? To find this man, right? So I, I had a Facebook account that I never used. Uh -huh. And this was back in 2012. But I live in Rhode Island. And most of my family lives abroad and in other states. So I had this Facebook account that I had, I didn't even really know how to use at the time. But I like to see pictures of my nieces and nephews. So it was there. And I said, uh -huh. well, let me let me look at Facebook groups. They were just really starting at the time. And I started trying to find other people with similar symptoms. And then I would do research and find out symptom sets and do look at like medical journals of what it might be. And then I would find Facebook groups with people that had certain disorders and see if there was any commonality. Mm. And then I narrowed it down to what I thought I might have. And then I, you know, eventually found a certain doctor in Massachusetts. And then I got on a nine month waiting list um, to find out the diagnosis that I actually had. Uh -huh. um, which led me to another doctor come to find out in the process I discovered, I said, you know, what's interesting about my family is like my, my, my Nana or my, my grandmother, she fainted a lot. I get blue lips. She has blue. She used to have blue lips. Like, uh -huh. and then I started realizing patterns. And so I looked at genetic disorders and, um, I eventually figured out that I had this underlying genetic disorder. And that's why this fall, was so damaging because most other people would recover. Why didn't I? Right. Well, it's because I had this underlying genetic disorder and my aunt had called me years prior and she had gotten diagnosed with something called Chiari malformation and being the nurse in the family, everybody calls you when they're diagnosed right. with something right. weird. <laughs> and that's what I had. 
Um, and that is uh, something that's common in people with this condition that I had called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So I was able to kind of just play detective and figure this out and then wow. research and find the best doctors in the neighboring state and get myself to those doctors. That process took a couple of years. I was going to say, meantime, and, and, you're the, and you're the nurse, so you sort of know what you're digging for as opposed to like me. I right. have no I, earthly idea. It was, and I had great insurance. I uh -huh. had, you know, the connections. Right. I had the people to ask. And so I'm like, if it's this hard for me, mm -hmm. what about all the other people out there? Yeah. that are going through this, right? And so I created this Facebook group initially and tried to find, you know, information I needed. And it was a selfish intention, to be quite honest, when I first created the group. But then when I started going through the experience, I said, oh, no, this is not okay. I have to help other people. So then I started creating a network of Facebook groups. And my goal was to simply create... Um, a support group in all 50 states in the U.S. Mm -hmm. within five years and then create kind of an army of advocates and improve the patient experience in the U.S. And I set out to do that. And unbeknownst to me, I was creating a nonprofit and I ended up forming a nonprofit. And um, that's what I did for about the next five years of my life. Wow. And that nonprofit um, still exists today and it serves people in over 50 countries across the world. How did, I mean, I'm just thinking like, how did you stay persistent? Because so many people would just say, oh, screw it. I give up. You know, like I, I'm, I'm getting nowhere. I think for me, when you start meeting these people, I mean, and you have to understand during this time I was diagnosed, um, it's easy to give up hope because, uh -huh. you know, your diet, it's like one hit after another. It's a genetic disorder. You're not going to fix yourself. Right. It's uh, damaged your nervous system permanently. You're going to have to live with this the rest of your life. You need spine surgery. You need neck surgery. You need brain surgery. Um, so I, all this was going on. And so I was going through the surgeries and here's the kicker there's nobody in this, in your area that does these surgeries. They're dangerous. Um, and you're going to have to travel out of state. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said, I live away from my family. That was incredibly hard to do. The surgeries are ex extreme and they were expensive. So they were out of network for my, you know, insurance providers. Oh, wow. There was all kinds of red tape to figure uh -huh. out. Uh -huh. And then I, I'm out of work now. I, right. I have to close my business. And I'm out of work. Thankfully, my insurance comes from my husband. And, but still, we had to pay, you know, about $50,000 in this couple years wow. uh, for, you know, financially, we're hit, you know, and I'm most, I think the hardest part of all of this is I can't be a, the mother I want to be yeah. for my kids. Yeah. My older kids remember healthy mom, but my five-year-old doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that is what breaks my heart in all this. Because it, it, I think you know, what we keep going, I see my five-year-old at the time that I got sick is now six. 
and um, he wants to make gingerbread men. And, um, you know, we're watching Shrek 2 or whatever, you know. So he thinks gingerbread men are funny. We spend a lot of time watching movies because that's all I can really do with him well. Right, right. And he wants to make gingerbread men. So I'm like, we're going to go to the store. Now, standing still makes my heart race, makes me pass out. So I can't grocery shop well. And he says... I said, you want to make gingerbread man cookies? And he's like, yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I said, we're going to go to the store and get the ingredients, but we have to, I know we have to wait till late at night to do that when there's no lines because I mm. can't stand in line. Right. So I think this is an all day thing of me figuring out how I'm going to do it. We get there. And so I said, what do you think we need? You know, and he picks out um, bread, like bizarre ingredients, you know, like, so I'm just letting him Ginger do it. Ginger and bread. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm just getting a kick out of it. Right. And then I buy the stuff we actually need. And so the cashier's like cracking up because uh, we're in the express line with bread and ginger and like it's just silliness. And then I, behind him, like throw the stuff up on the counter that we need. She goes, are you making gingerbread men? And he says, yes, we are. My, oh, my, my, my youngest is the cutest thing ever. And she goes, yes, we are. And I'm so excited because my mommy's got a bad heart and she's going to make cookies with me for Christmas. And like, he he tells the cashier this and I just start bawling because I'm thinking like I did so much with my big kids. Right. And now he's just excited that I can make cookies with him, you know? And so these are the things that kept me going. And so I had to make some really difficult choices the surgery was like, not a sure deal. Like I had to update my will and all this stuff. But I was like, well, do I let myself end up in a wheelchair? Do I lose function of my bladder? Do I, you know, this isn't, you know, I could have a stroke uh, from the surgery. Or big risks, you know, right. But I also have these kids and, um, what do I want to teach them? You know, what do, do I want to, do I want to stay, do I, do I want to play it a hundred percent safe? So I, you know, these are difficult decisions and difficult discussions I had to have with my husband. Um, so I, I said, uh, you know, I've been given the gift of getting in with the top neurosurgeon in the country, even people flying from other parts of the world to have an opportunity. Wow. Wow. I feel like God has given me this opportunity, I need to take it. And I'm so grateful to this day that I did. I still have issues. I'm not, I'm not normal, but what is normal? What is normal? Yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm so grateful that I did, but um, there were, I still have long-term issues that I deal with on a, on a daily basis. But what kept me going with basically my kids, um, and wanting to be the best mom I could and show up for them and, you know, be a good, good person um, for myself. And I might, and, and there's nothing wrong with being in a wheelchair. And if that was where I needed to be or ended up, I felt like I would have ended up there if I had the surgery. If that was my destiny, then let it be. And I would have been awesome in a wheelchair. Like you still would have danced, that, but you can still dance in the wheelchair. Yeah. I know some amazing people that are in wheelchairs, Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I needed to know that if that was my destiny, that I did everything I could yeah. to try to, uh, you know, preserve my mobility 
And so that's what I did. And I wanted to learn as much as I could along the way and help as many other people as I could. And the fact that it was a genetic disorder was very much um, a driving factor because like, was this going to happen to my boys? Mm -hmm. And would I want them to fight for themselves when it did? Mm -hmm. So that really, really um, was a, a factor in how I made my decisions. What do I want my boys to do? Mm -hmm. And what kind of an example am I setting for them? How did you get through and that's the, what we do as parents. How did you get through the days when you were really struggling with that? I think like everybody else, a minute at a time. Uh, the pain, let me tell you this, because of our circumstance, I had to have these three surgeries, major neurosurgeries within six weeks of each other and another wow. foot surgery. Wow. The whole back of my head is a metal plate. You know, most 40 year olds have a facelift. I got a brain lift. Mm -hmm. um, and then my neck is fused to my head. Now when I, <laughs> I forget, I forget um, because I choose not to focus on it. But like sometimes when I'll go for an x-ray now, I had one x-ray check said, it looks like you were decapitated. That's how oh. extreme these surgeries were. And I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, I call it my neck bling. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it felt that way. Yeah. Brace. You know those neck braces you see after, after an accident? I had to wear right. one for nine months. Wow. Um, and so in addition to uh, losing the ability to function, I was struggling to walk. Um, that thing is a nightmare. You can't sleep in it. You can't get comfortable in it. It was displacing my jaw. Mm -hmm. And um, I was miserable. And I did not look cute. Like, I looked a hot mess everywhere <laughs> I went. I was sleep deprived. And it felt, no joke, like someone took a sledgehammer to the back of my head constantly. So I was in a lot of pain and I was pretty miserable. I'm just so happy wow. that everybody in my family still talks to me. Because I mean, wow. all I did was look up at the ceiling and there was like a spot on the ceiling in my bedroom. Uh -huh. And I just wanted it perfect. Like, you know, I was obsessing about everything I couldn't control because I was so out of control wow. and I was pretty miserable. And I'm not going to lie about that. I was hot and I was miserable. And uh, it was like a really rough year. And then I just turned that anger, um, the pain into fuel. And I let it become my friend. And I started digesting it. Um, and I got a really weird relationship with pain because I realized it wasn't going anywhere and I was going to live with it the rest of my life. So what was I going to do with it? And I became a little sadistic, I guess, and said, I love you. You're my friend. I'm going to eat you. I used to say, I used to get up in the morning and brush my teeth and I would struggle to lift each leg. You know, I went through four years of physical therapy Wow. and I would get to the, to the, um, and it's not far. I'd get to the sink in the morning and I would brush my teeth and it would hurt. Sometimes I'd shake and I would say, I eat nails for breakfast. And I would just wow. talk the pain down like a Marine sergeant every morning and I would control it and I would let it control me. And I started doing this with myself. And oh, that how allowed did, me how to did you even know? Back. 
how did you even know to do that? I mean, this is the thing about our, our challenging emotions. It's like usually we try to oppress them and ignore them and pretend that they're not there and, you know, turn to a lot of other sources to distract us from what's really going on in our bodies. It's survival at a point. I mean, it was trying to consume me. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I don't quit. There's one thing about me. Um, I've been through a lot. I had a really challenging, I like to say, childhood. Um, uh, I'm a very resilient person. And one thing about me, I'm unbreakable. Mm -hmm. So when you try to break me, it's a fight. I was just going to say, yeah. So that pain tried to break me. And that's when it became, you know, it became my enemy. So I started. Well, it, as, well actually, you know, it, it sounds like it didn't become your enemy. It sounds like you befriended it. Well, I, 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 I you know, I had to start strategizing against uh -huh. it and figure out, like, I can't beat it. Uh-huh. Now I have to join it. And I would go through, and I still do because of my condition. I have weeks that I am in unbearable pain and I don't like, uh, you know, not to get off topic. I, I'm not a friend of opioids. Like I, a, a fan of opioids. I've seen them destroy people's lives mm -hmm. and I can be in unbearable pain for, you know, a week at a time. And I will talk myself through the pain because I just remind myself that pain is temporary. Mm -hmm. It's a visitor. And I talk to it. I'm like, you're, you're not going to break me. You'll be gone tomorrow. And I mentally control the anxiety that comes with the pain because I realized at one point when you're in so much pain that you pass out, which has happened to me before, you start to realize that it's the anxiety that comes with the pain that amplifies it. And if you can remove that, then you can control the pain. So you have to pull it apart. And I learned to do that. And now con I control the pain. The pain doesn't control me. Wow. That's a huge lesson. That's a huge lesson. Because I think most, yeah. people, most people just suffer with it. I don't suffer from anything. Suffering is a choice. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice. Hmm. Says, says Thich Nhat Hanh and the Buddha. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I identify myself as a Christian, but I really do uh, appreciate a lot of the Buddhist ways of life mm -hmm. and practices. And so is the so more it, you control your mind. So is it just a matter of happier. refocusing? It's not that simple. And I'm not going to lie and say it's that simple, but you have to go into some very extreme places to, you know, for me, I, I think you have to be into a point that it's, it's a survival mechanism mm -hmm. where you can separate and fracture um, these parts of your response, if that makes sense. It's not a normal <laughs> response by any means, but when you're in these extreme places, when you're, you sit with the darkest uh, parts of yourself, mm -hmm. you have a choice to give in or attack what's attacking you. And I'm a strategist, I'm a puzzle solver uh, mm -hmm. in, in all things. So when I'm there and I am, a, you know, I'm, you know, begging for mercy, then I've got to figure out a way out of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And that means separating what is too much to bear and 
finding ways around it. That's just how I think. And that's what's worked for me. It may not work for everybody, but that's how I dealt with it. No, I was going to say, and can you teach people how to do this? I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, this is what I'm, this is what I'm thinking. <laughs> this, is, this is what I'm feeling. If you can somehow, um, because it sounds like you have mastered this, and I know a lot of, a lot of people suffer with pain and de debilitating. It is, it, is, it is very uncomfortable. It is very real. It, this is not to take away the experience. No, um, but, th but this has somehow, you have not let this define your existence. Like you have, you have figured out a way to, um, to embrace what and accept what you have, but also create this still beautiful, um, incredible life, despite these, this thing that you're dealing with on an ongoing daily basis. Yeah. And, and I just decided that it, I cannot submit to it. I won't submit to the pain. This is the only life that I have. Mm. You know, I don't know if reincarnation is real. It's one of the things I am so intrigued by, but yeah. for right now, I believe this is the only life I have. Uh -huh. So, um, so how can I, I live? Rock it out. I gotta, you gotta do what I can do with it. And, you know, I will have, and I still do have, you know, injuries, you know, I have, you know, I slip my ribs a lot. Um, because of my condition, I dislocate uh, joints very easily and it's incredibly painful. Um, and I will, might be down for a week, but I'm not staying down. I'm not staying down and I'm gonna, if I'm gonna be in pain, I'm gonna be on, in pain, you know, on a beautiful beach in Belize. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm not staying in my bed. And I'm going to have a cocktail in my hand. Yeah. You know, that's how I choose to live my life because it is my only life. And um, I don't want to be numbed out either. Um, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be numbed out. But I, so I, think, I, I, I try to mentally of, be as strong as I can. I think a lot of people do that though, because they don't know how to deal with the pain. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to say that, you know, I've not, I, you know, there are times you need to take medication and yeah. I'm not shaming anybody for that. I, I want to be clear about that. Or um, CBD but or, you, I mean, all, all that. Yeah, absolutely. All sorts absolutely. of absolutely. Uh, medical Not shaming or judging. And, uh -huh. But for me in my life, you know, um, I try to do as little as possible with that and really try to master my relationship with pain. I have a personal, intimate relationship with pain. That's how I deal with it, which is very bizarre and outlandish. And a lot of people don't appreciate what I have to say on this subject. No, I, but, I think, I think yeah. that's amazing because most people don't have a relationship with many of their emotions. And I think that's yeah, where people I, get stuck and suffer and feel like they can't live. Yeah. But of course, if I go have surgery, like I just had shoulder surgery last year um, and I took pain medication for about five days. Mm -hmm. I had shoulder and clavicle surgery mm -hmm. and I did use pain medication for five days and then I got off of it mm -hmm. and I still had pain when I got off of it. Mm -hmm. But I took, you know, I think half what they prescribed me for five days because I'm not crazy, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but, you know, but I, I think that we have gotten to um, 
I mean, I've been a nurse a long time. And I think uh, if you have, there's certain instances that you should totally be medica medicating people for pain. I'm not an advocate for taking away people's medication. I'm just saying uh, for me, that's what was right for me and my circumstance. And the fact that I live with pain every day yeah. and I didn't want to be unsafe driving my children around. I wanted right. to be able to work as a nurse. Right. And I do not believe that nurses should be working medicated. Um, and so there's various reasons why I made those choices for myself and they work for me in my life. And how, how has your husband and your kids been supportive of your own journey? Um, ups and downs, you know, with them understanding it's hard for them to watch me, <laughs> uh, go through some of the things I've been through, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, my husband has, uh, he's been amazing. Um, he's, <laughs> uh, I don't know how I would have gotten through all this without him. And I give him a lot of credit. You know, I, in my work as an advocate and running all the support groups that I have, it's like over 75 different support groups over the years. I've seen a lot of stories and a lot of um, husbands just tap out. Mm -hmm. The divorce rate is really high with this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad. So um, I give him a lot of credit. Uh, he's been my nurse at times, uh, but I really do try to limit that. Um, I try to keep him out of the caregiver role mm -hmm. as much as I can. But there's some times that, you know, he, you know, has to help me and I'm stubborn, you know, I'm, I'm Irish and <laughs> it's, it comes out in me. I can't help it. Um, I don't like to ask for help sometimes. Um, and many, many women don't. Yeah, I'm a caregiver, so mm -hmm. it's hard for me to ask for help. Mm -hmm. But um, he he really has been more than you could uh, say supportive at times, um, especially through all the surgeries. And the other times, like he's like, "What is all this stuff? Why isn't this going away?" And he gets frustrated. Mm -hmm. And when I'm in a lot of pain, sometimes he's like, he doesn't know what to do, and he walks out yeah. of the room. It's hard for him to to see. And I, I understand that. Um, and I try to give him some grace. And then there's been days he's frustrated and he's like, you know, he's very healthy, thank God. And he's a little bit older and he's like, oh, my back hurts. And I'm like, your back doesn't hurt. <laughs> he's like, like, I don't want to hear about it, dude. <laughs> I get to have him, you know, I get to have pain too. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I have to be like empathetic wife and, you know, try not to compare. So here, let me let you borrow this plate in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really important that we as spouses uh, don't do that. <laughs> we, we can suck up all the, you know, the sympathy in, in the room sometimes. Uh, but I try, I try to be. Uh, Still have some compassion for him. Yeah. Yeah. And nurses are bad about that anyway. Like, you know, suck it up buttercup. <laughs> uh, we can do that a lot with our kids too. So, um, but they're good. My kids are good. Um, my, you know, and I try now that I'm doing really a lot better. Um, you know, my 13 year old forgets and he'll like, we'll be in the pool and he'll try to rough house me a little bit and uh, get dizzy or something, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm like, you know, 
take it easy. He's like, oh, I forget, you know? So it's nice that he's now experiencing a healthier version of mom. And I'm really grateful for that. Uh And so how did you, okay. So where, where are you going now? Like, where's your advocacy going? What, what is your, um, what's your, what's your mission and your purpose? So I kind of, made a big jump this year. Um, my, the nonprofit that I founded um, is separate from my Facebook group that I started with in 2012. And um, so I still run that group. So I'm still connected to like 10,000 people, primarily women, interestingly, that this affects, but there's, there's a, a handful of men in our group. Um, and I'm it's still connected the, it's with the them, same genetic disorder that all, all these people well, have are similar. Most of them have the genetic disorder and they all have autonomic nervous system dysfunction called dysautonomia. It's like a catch-all. It means uh-huh. dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. It means your autonomic nervous system, which is supposed to run itself, dysregulates. Uh-huh. And it affects your breathing, your heart rate, your lungs, all this stuff, uh, your blood pressure just kind of wax out and it can be secondary to this genetic disorder or some other underlying factors. Mm-hmm. So everybody in the group has some kind of autonomic nervous system dysregulation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I had found this nonprofit and it's up and running established and um, it has a board of directors and I left earlier this year and I've been, I've had it on my heart for like about a year and a half to really, you see, let me just backtrack a little bit. When I started it, like I said, I really wanted to create an army of advocates and make sure everybody got support and improve the patient experience. Since then, not just my nonprofit started, all these other nonprofits have started. And that is really, that work has been done and it's established. So major strides have happened in the last five years. Wow. So now the area I see a lot of struggling happening is financially. Um, People are disabled by this condition. They're not Mm -hmm. able to work. Um, And then I see a lot of people displaced. Uh, They don't have access to health insurance. And a lot of them are staying, unfortunately, in really abusive relationships because of financial limitations. Yeah. So I've been for the last couple of years saying, well, how could I help in this area? And how could I take my skill sets and business and entrepreneurship and really help the youth and um, people that are struggling to find ways to support themselves um, despite their health challenges. So I would like to really inspire adaptive entrepreneurship and teach people how to use technology to um, support themselves and build businesses online that they can run despite their disabilities. So that's kind of where I'm pivoting to and um, exploring that. I still feel like it falls under when you said this army of advocates, like that sounds like your mission, the army of advocates. Yeah, and it's happening. And, you know, so over, I've done some amazing uh, kind of interesting things that I never expected to do mm-hmm. over the last three, four years. And it's kind of branched off in different ways. Um, 
and it's all been wonderful and I've enjoyed all of it. Um, but what I really want to do is really help people stabilize their lives. And um, I've realized that without access to healthcare and um, without stable socioeconomic stability, basically, that none of that is really possible. So I'm thinking that, you know, especially with if you look at the rates of disability in the country, not only in um, the neurological spectrums, even if you look at autism and other areas, childhood disabilities on the rise in the United States. And um, with technology coming in, there's so many options out there for these kids, but a lot of them are labeled as disabled when they're young mm -hmm, right. and they don't really see a future for themselves. And I don't see anybody working in this area. So when I lobbied on Capitol Hill, I've talked to lawmakers about this and really nobody's paying any attention to this field. Wow. So I've talked to other advocates and I'd like to start really looking at ways to start programs and um, I don't want children to give up on themselves before they've even had a, a start in life and they risk losing their um, health insurance if they work once they turn 18 so really there's a lot of work done there why yeah. is that why is that well if a parent say needs services for their child to uh -huh. get early child, early intervention, right? Uh -huh. Say your child's on the spectrum, you need extra services in school or whatever, and um, you need social security check for your child, and you get your child on services, and they start getting Medicaid, Medicare, for health insurance when they're like 12 or 13, then they become a disabled uh, adult in the system they're often dependent on that health insurance. Wow. And the only way that they can age out, you know, in their 20s is to get a job, to get a, a, an insurance that matches that level of insurance. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the, these, these kids are never really allowed to work. Wow. Or have any goals or hopes for themselves. And if you look at the depression rates and the suicide rates, they're I would imagine it's really high, yeah. It is. It is. So, you know, I started, you know, the suicide and, and um, depression rates in disabled adults is high, but in the teens, it's even higher. So, you know, what can we do and what are we doing to help these children? And there's really not anything out there. So it's something I took notice of a couple of years ago, and I'd like to start really looking at creating um, some conversation of, I don't think I'm going to have all the answers, but I'd like to start the conversation and start offering some solutions. Do you think that uh, many of the adults that you uh, are connected to would also be willing to advocate for these kids? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I would imagine it's, you know, and this is, this is the part of when you're in pain and suffering, like you wanted to help other people, like you started off on your own journey, you know, to figure out what was going to help you. And then you ended up helping other people and then they help people and then they help people. And right. it's this right. beautiful, beautiful thing that happens as a result of your pain. Right. You, you know, I kind of created a, a ripple 
effect. Uh-huh. And um, I know through my organization that I founded, you know, we've trained hundreds of advocates so far. Mm-hmm. And um, we're just getting started. So, you know, I just try to plant seeds of hope in people. Yeah. I don't want people to ever feel like there's no purpose, there's no hope, there's no reason for them to, to go on. Yeah. Because there always is. Well, I even, would... even this whole connection with the long haulers, you know, there's, that means there's going to be research for yeah. our disorders. Yeah, and funding that, you know, maybe yeah. we'll have some breakthroughs for us. And some and sometimes I think I'm, I, I have this, um, I don't know, it's okay, it's a perspective. And it sort of started off like, uh, you know, kids with uh, um, genetic um, defects, do you call them defects? I don't know if that's a politically yeah, disorders, disorder, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I didn't want to, I wanted to be politically correct, sorry, disorders. Um, and then I think, you know, these beautiful souls chose to come here to help other people learn how to have compassion. And so, and so a lot of times I think that, um, that when we are struggling with something, we develop more compassion for ourselves and that's what gives us hope. You know, if I, if I can be compassionate with myself and then I can extend that to somebody else who's struggling in the same way so that you, so that you, so that there is some sense of purpose in your pain. You know, it's like you turn your pain into purpose by, by serving and giving and, um, and loving on other people. We all, you know, I've learned to question uh, so much in the last decade of my life Mm -hmm. and um, you know, what is, success what is normal what is purpose and who defines that do i or does my maker Uh you know and um what are the answers what are the answers to those questions for you uh well you know for me i literally stumbled upon my purpose um and i had other plans for my life i believe that we all have greatness inside of us. Mm -hmm. And I knew at a point that I was being called to serve. And I looked at my husband one day and said, okay, if we do this, there's no going back. I know, I know that this is a calling. Mm -hmm. Uh, It sounds corny, you know, but I know it's not at all. This is what I'm being called to do. And I'm scared, but that means I'm supposed to do it. Mm. And I just went full throttle all in. And I had no idea really where it was going. Or, you know, I just trusted my intuition. And um, I did the best I could. And I think if we're all um, able, and um, I guess willing to, to do that, and just show up and be our authentic selves, this would be a much more beautiful world. You know, don't worry about chasing money. Money will chase you when you're serving at the highest level. You know, after that, I gave up any hope of, you know, chasing money or starting another business. My husband's income doubled. And we were able, yeah, wow. (laughs) And so we were able to then be um, financially stable to allow me to do this work. 
And so, you know, all this stuff that people talk about that sounds so woo woo and crazy, but it, I've seen it really come to, per, to uh, fruition in my life. Mm-hmm. And the more I give, the more I receive. And I, I trust it now. And that's how I live my life. And life doesn't have to be perfect to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. How do you, it really doesn't. So how do you define success now? I define success um, probably differently than, than most people. I measure success in um, self-love first. Um, am I? Amen, sister. <laughs> yeah, I, it took me a lot of years to get that straight. You know, am I right with myself? Am I taking care of myself? Uh-huh. I've, I've, it took me decades to get there. But um, am I in alignment with myself, with my maker, and then with my purpose? And what is my purpose? Um, My purpose is to make sure that I am serving from here, not from here, Mm -hmm. not from my ego, from here, and to do what's best. My decisions as a leader always come from what is best for the community I'm serving, never for from uh, what is best for Amanda or what is best for even the organization or the business. Mm-hmm. It's what is the best for the community I'm serving. And whenever I lead from that place, I always make the right decision. And um, to me, that's success. Well, that's... And I never regret it. I was going to ask you because you said you heard the calling and I, you know, it was like, you're being called. So I, I feel the same way. I mean, this is why I started this podcast, right? And this is why yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm doing the work that I'm doing. Um, wake up to real love. Uh, because I felt called, I felt compelled to serve in a greater way, turn my own pain and my, you know, marriage into a purpose to help other people heal. Right. But, but when you hear a call, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you feel like every person receives a call and just some people choose not to listen to it, not to answer, not to answer what they're being asked to do? I think it's, um, well, it's hard for me to speak on what every person receives, but I think I that for me, it, if it had happened to me at 25 or at 30, I wouldn't have heard it. Mm-hmm. I was so busy that um I would I wouldn't have I would have ignored it if I heard it Mm -hmm. um it literally took that injury (laughs) to slow me down Mm -hmm. to even get in tune with myself enough Mm -hmm. to listen to hear um and that that head injury was a gift in itself because I was really on autopilot for so much of my life. Right. And um, yeah, so now I appreciate and savor things on such a level that I, I, I call it my Yoda mode, you know, mm-hmm. um, child of the 70s. But, you know, I, I'm aspiring to be Yoda, to go within and to really hear um, myself, my own thoughts. And not only understand my thoughts, but look at them and examine them. 
on a 360 mm-hmm. mode um, and, and be wisdom to know myself is my journey now mm-hmm. and master myself. Before I was just running after what I thought was success. And I, I'm, it's really, I've matured probably 30 years in the last 10. Mm. And I really owe that to uh, getting hurt. Wow. And slowing down. And yeah, so it's like everything was pointing me in this direction. Um, it's almost like an internal whisper of you need to do this. You have to do this. You, uh-huh. you are the perfect person to do this. Uh-huh. Do this. Do this. Do this. And it felt like almost a betrayal if I didn't. And um, I was going to say that because you're still busy doing, but, it, but the energy that I feel from you is you have this really beautiful presence of no matter what you're doing. You know, it's like you are here full heart and soul to just be and give and, um, you know, express your truth and express all of this love that you have inside of yourself, you know, that, that you've discovered on your own journey of self-love and, um, and giving hope to other people that that's possible for them too. I think I would be remiss not to mention that I got to this place by letting go of a lot of people and things that needed to be let go of and boundaries were a big part of that journey for me. Uh And uh, I was a people pleaser. I was just going to say, why did you need to let these things or people go? I was a people pleaser. And that was part of my hectic schedule and my craziness. Um, And I've been doing a lot of work, even within the last year, um, to really get myself to this place of presence, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been a journey for me. This is not who I have been in the past, but, um, you know, I grew up, I had a lot of trauma in the past and, uh, I, I was running. Yeah. I was running. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's like you you, you keep your busyness in order to, um, avoid yourself. Like I said, I didn't like to numb from medication. Right. I was never a drinker. I, I like to be in control, but mm-hmm. I was running mm-hmm. from the emotions in a different way, mm-hmm. you know? So I've been doing a lot of work. Um, I had kind of committed to myself, my 50th birthday present to myself was to be able to show up in a real authentic way for me with radical self-love mm-hmm. and to remove anybody from my life or anything or habit for my life that didn't support that. That's a beautiful gift that you've given yourself. And when you show up in that energy, I mean, this is why I was drawn to you in that other group, Amanda, is because I felt that from you. Uh, You know, I knew a little bit about your story, but it was just, this is your presence, which is a gift. So I really, I really, I guess it's working. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So how do you, the, the last question that I ask um, my guests is how do you define real love? 
Real love, I would say, is just loving every part of your story. The good, the bad, the ugly, unapologetically, with grace for yourself, and understanding that every mistake, every hiccup, it all... It all is part of what makes you the beautiful tapestry that you are. Mm -hmm. Don't ever regret it. Like, you know, don't ever, don't ever apologize for who you were because that's how you became who you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's all part of our story. It's all part of our journey. It's like, you can't just like rip out a chapter. (laughs) of the story and say, well, that didn't really happen. It's like, no, no, no. And that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You are so beautiful. <laughs> thank you for being oh, thank here. You. Thank you. You're, thank you're an amazing, you. beautiful woman. Thank you so much. You too. And I'm so happy to be with you. It's nice to get to know you and I look forward to following your journey and the work you're going to be doing. Yeah. Thank you. So how do, how do people get in touch with you, Amanda? Cause I'm sure there are many people listening that are like, yeah, I want some more of that. <laughs> um, it's easiest to find me on social media. I work there a couple hours a day. So um, you can follow me on yeah all the major channels at disnurse, D Y S N U R S E. Um, and you can also, yeah, it's probably the easiest way to shoot me an inbox on Twitter or Instagram uh, at just nurse. And, um, if you're interested in the Facebook masterclass, um, you should also just hit me up there. That's the easiest way to get me. I'll respond within a four hour, probably time period. And your, um, Hi. your, your group that you manage that the one with the 10,000, what's the name of that group? Yeah. That is dysautonomia, divas, dudes, and zebras. <laughs> zebras is a code for rare disease. So uh, we have uh, the, the divas and the dudes. It's like I like to have a little fun with things. And you're quite a diva <laughs> if you have dysautonomia. <laughs> okay, you're going to have to text me the, the because I'm not going to be able to spell it. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite a mouthful. I can text it to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But we should show up on, if you just type in dysautonomia, it's D-Y-S-A-U-T-O-N-O-M-I-A. And then then we'll pop up with one of the bigger groups. Okay, cool. Yeah, you got, uh, yeah, Uh, Amanda's Army of Advocates. I see it now. If you haven't seen that, I see it. Yeah, it, it should, uh, if you know anybody that's struggling with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, dysautonomia, or Chiari malformation, feel free to, you know, point in my way. I'll get them hooked up with the group. Mm-hmm. And if uh, you're interested in learning more, or, you know, I do some, I do speak, um, I go out and speak about advocacy online um i'm a national speaker for rare disease advocacy and using digital communities to do good in the world Mm. to clean up facebook and make it a wonderful place doesn't always have to be horrible feel free to get in touch with me yeah thank you so much don it's been great spending some time with you i know i love hanging out we're gonna have to do it some more yeah 
Yeah. So uh, listeners, I'm sure that you have gotten so much value out of Amanda. She's a beautiful gift to the world. Uh, and so if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, if you feel like it would help any of your friends, please feel free to share it, subscribe, write reviews. Um, this is how we help share this message of, uh, you know, what I always say, which you have so eloquently put about, you know, your self-love starts with, with you, right? Coming to this place of accepting Absolutely. all of these difficult, challenging aspects of ourself, you know, the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. So obviously you do your work with you and you turn your pain into purpose. You learn how to live despite your challenges. Um, it all starts and ends with you. So thank you for validating and expressing that message in the beautiful way that you did. So, um, Subscribe, share with your friends, and uh, every day, wake up to real love. Thank you so much, Amanda, for being here. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to talking to you again. Yeah. yeah. Take care, listeners. Wake up to real love every day. Bye. See you next time. Subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast. Leave five-star reviews. And, of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.